Here we go. This is number nine. Message number nine in this series on the life of the church. And if you haven't figured it out yet, the life of the church consists of the love of the church. The love that we have for one another. And this morning we're on the top box over there. We're on the box that says maturing. Maturing. Because it's an ongoing process. So I want to point you to Romans chapter 13 verse 8 which says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So this continuing debt. Now theologically this is weird. Because God forgives all of our sins. He takes all of our sins away. We sing about how Jesus paid it all on the cross. And he did. And our, our, our sin debt is paid, right? We don't know anything. There's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. There's nothing we can do to cause God to love us any less. But there is a debt that we can't pay. And God wants us to continue making payments on this. It's not fulfilled. It's not fulfilled until he says it's fulfilled. It's this continuing debt to love one another. This is, the, this is the mission we have that we're going to be practicing for the rest of our lives. It's never paid off. You could never say, well, I love that person enough. I'm good. We're good. I mean, after all I've done for them, I mean, aren't they, shouldn't they be so grateful? Well, no, because God wants us to continue loving. Now, I was thinking about this yesterday, and I added this. This is You'll see how bright I am and how smart I am here. I added this because I, I thought about the iceberg and how most of the iceberg is under the deep blue sea, right? And just a little bit of that white sticks out over the surface. And there's that phrase, it's just the tip of the iceberg because there's so much more. We're just scratching the surface, the tip of the iceberg. And I thought how conventional wisdom teaches us that the Christian life Underneath sea, underneath the water is are all these spiritual disciplines, and they comprise the Christian life. And so we have things like going to church and praying and reading our Bible. We have things like not working on 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 the Sabbath, uh, serving the Lord, uh, obeying God, tithing and giving money. Wait a minute, I'm working. Oh well, don't worry about it. Um, small group. Missions trip, uh, witnessing and sharing the gospel, having a strong devotional life and Bible study. And then, and then you just put a little bit of love on top of it because everybody knows, yeah, love, love, blah, blah, blah. But we've got to be busy about all these other things and then just add a little bit of love on the top. And I thought about this and I thought, no, I think it's just the opposite. I think that love is the iceberg. Love is the iceberg. And then you can just add a little bit of the everything else on top. Because the truth is, if you have love as the iceberg, everything else is already there. Everything else is already there. Because the one who loves has fulfilled the law. So now, uh, this is my last Sunday to talk to you about this stuff. And I hope that by now you've realized that one of my values, one of my values is that the people of God know who they are, understand that they're the church, we're the church, and that understand that our purpose is to love one another. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. So 
this is my last Sunday to talk about it. And you might be saying, oh my goodness, it's about time. We've been talking about this lovey, lovey, dovey, mushy, gushy, hearts and roses. About time we get on to some, like, let's get some meaty Bible study in. Okay, so I'm going to take you to a few passages. Some we've looked at and some we haven't looked at. And then I started thinking about this this morning and I thought, am I trying to put forth an argument and build a case for love? Because I'm not sure that that it's going to make anybody love. I don't know that convincing somebody that it's the right thing to do is necessarily going to get them to do it. But you know what? This is all I've got, right? This is all I've got. It's the tool of my trade. So some of you, uh, for the tool of your trade, are statistics and research and information. And that's all you've got. If you take that out of your job, you can't really do your job. And others of you have actual implements. You have tools, actual stuff that you do things with and build stuff or move stuff. And without those tools, you can't do your job. Well, this is my tool. This is it. This is all I have. And it's all that I want to have. Because in as much as I can speak accurately, that's not all the time. It just isn't. You know, I can... I can read a verse and just not really see what's there and take something else out of it and teach you that, and it might be just fine, but the problem is we won't, we won't have gotten to what was actually there. So my goal is to actually get to what's there and share what's there with who's here, and then we'll know it, and then we can go. So at the risk of being redundant, redundantly redundant, I'm going to show you, we're going to go back to a couple more passages, and we've already heard this one this morning, uh, Londa talked about it, love the Lord your God. She mentioned that Jesus added, Jesus added, love, but he added something, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's true that he added that from the next passage we see on the screen, Deuteronomy chapter 6, but I was peeking back in Leviticus 19, verse 18, actually says, love your neighbor as yourself. So even though Jesus said it's a new command, it was really already back there in the law. It's in the book of Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus just pulled it off, he dusted it off, and he redelivered it to the people. But Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. It's the it's the passage that Jews recited over and over, that Orthodox Jews today will recite over and over. It's, even they understand it's primary to love God. Romans chapter 13, the chapter that many of us think is the, that chapter about government, and it mentions something about government in it, but it's really, it's a chapter about love. And it says the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is teaching what Jesus had already taught. And Jesus is really, all, he's only interpreting the Old Testament and bringing the teachings and the spirit of the Old Testament into the New Testament. And Paul here says in Romans 13 that all the commands are summed up in this one command. You guys, this is why this is so important. When the whole Bible gets funneled down to this spot and Jesus says, all this stuff 
this is it. This is the one command. Like, what if you went, what if you went into work tomorrow morning and your boss came up to you and said, hey, hey, wait, wait, let me talk to you for a minute. Let me talk to you. Hey, I want you to spend eight hours today, but I've got one thing for you to do. If you do nothing else, I want, make sure, make sure you get this one thing done. And then they tell you. I mean, that would be, that would be so much easier. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, hey, you're my body, you're the church, I want you to go, and I want you to be my hands and feet and be me in the world. I will indwell you through my spirit, and I will do great things, I will do great things, and I will use you, but I only, I only need you to do one thing, and that's to love. Because all the other commands are summed up in that one command. And then he goes on to say, Paul says something that just explodes your mind, He says, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The fulfillment of all of those commandments is found in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says it over and over, he says it in Galatians, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I've probably said that ten times in the last nine weeks. He says, to serve one another humbly in love because the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. In 1 Corinthians, he gets so exercised about it that he says, you know, I could speak in the tongues of men or of angels. He's like, I mean, you got to hear, you have to hear him in this and not just read it, you know, black print on a white page. He says, I could speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but, but if I don't have love, I'm just gone, gone. It's 11 o'clock, by the way. Gone. Only it never stops. It's never that o'clock. It's gone. Who wants to hear that? He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, I can, I can fathom everything. But if I don't have love, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if, and if I give all I possess to the poor, if I do what Jesus told that rich young ruler to do, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it says he went away sad because he had great wealth. He said, if I did that, but if I didn't have love, I would gain nothing. So I've shared those verses with you. Here's some that I haven't shared with you. John, the beloved disciple, he called himself, right? The one whom Jesus loved. The one that was closest to Jesus during his three-year ministry. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us And his love is made complete in us. So when is God's love not complete in us? When we don't love one another. So God's love can be complete in us only when we take it and we push it out to other people. So it was never meant to to flow into this stagnant pond, which would be our souls, and this love, and we've just got this love, but it doesn't go anywhere. It's meant to flow through us, and his love is made complete in us when we love one another. So if you're ever moved like to 
to, to move, to, if you're ever led, let me not use the same word twice, if you're ever led by God to move towards somebody in a loving and caring way, and you don't, then God's love has been like, it's been chopped off, and it's, and it's not been completed. The connection hasn't been made. See, because God love com- is complete when we love somebody else. John said later on in that same chapter, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. John calls him a liar. And John says, I know because I walked with Jesus. And Jesus talked to me firmly and bluntly many times too in love. But now I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to tell you, if you say you love God, but you can't love your brother or sister, you're a liar. He says, because whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen with their eyes cannot love God whom they have not seen. So he's saying, listen, I've been with Jesus. I've slept in the same place as Jesus. We've eaten together. I've watched him deal with thousands of people. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if you can't love the people next to you, you, you don't really love God. Because the love that God gives you is so strong that you can love those annoying, aggravating people on either side of you. Don't look at the people on either side of you. Galatians 2.20, this verse got quoted this week. I heard it and I, I, and I caught the last part of it. We all know this verse. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who, what? Who loved me and then what did he do? He gave himself for me. That's why on the bottom row boxes, we've got love, but then in the center, on the second row, we've got service. When you love, you serve. We either serve relationships with somebody else, or you serve God. We're, always, we're either serving ourselves, or we're serving others, and we're serving God by serving others. And it's funny, it's funny how serving God looks an awful lot like serving others, right? So the last time that we did that... Uh, uh, just a couple weeks ago. I can never remember, and in between services, I didn't get the name. What was the name of that day, Jason, help me, that when we that Operation Outreach Project Serve thing? What is it called? What is it? Oh, Reach Out. Oh, that's easy. Reach Out. Well, that's easy. I thought it was some fancy name, like Project Serve or Operation Outreach or something. Well, on that day, on that day, you all came to serve the Lord. And isn't it funny how serving God looks like serving others? And how when you got out there to help others, you enjoyed it. You might not have wanted to go out that afternoon. You might have wanted to, felt like after church, uh, I don't really want to go and have a meal and then go out and help. I'm used to like going home and having the rest of the day to myself. But you went out because serving God looks like serving others. Jesus said, um, it says that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. And then he said to us, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you to love others and give yourself for them. I am sending you, most of all, for each other, fellow believers, to love each other and give yourselves to each other. In John 13, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. How did he love us? He loved us and gave himself for us, sacrificially. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
this pretty serious. That's why I think that in our society, in our culture, the word love has been hijacked and redefined and redefined like out of recognition. That Our culture doesn't know what love is. They love this, they love that. Don't you love this? Don't you love that? Love is a word that is almost... Um, it's interchangeable. You can just put it in for anything. Uh, like, cool, like whatever it is, you just throw love in. But the love here in the scriptures when Jesus says that uh, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another, this was a love that looked like commitment. It looked like sacrifice. It looked like serving others. It looked like putting uh, ourself to the side and bringing somebody else to the forefront and making them a priority. That's the kind of love that John is talking about as he quotes Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul writes, Knowledge puffs up. You know a lot? Well, congratulations, here's a mirror. Look at yourself for a while and admire what you see. But what I want to know is, I want to know how much you love. I don't want to know what you know. Paul is saying this. Knowledge just puffs up. But love, love builds up. Because love rolls up its sleeves and serves and gets to work helping others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these is love. And then out of uh, absolute evaporation, Paul, at the very end of 1 Corinthians, he writes in chapter 16, verse 14, almost the last words of the book, just, whatever, just do everything in love, will you? Just do everything in love. It's as though... He's been teaching about it and teaching about it. He did that whole section in chapter 13 and he gets to the end and he just says, listen, if you just do everything in love, that will work out real well. I'll wrap it all up just by saying that. So, just do everything in love and we'll be a good church. We'll be a church that reaches out and cares about its community. So these boxes, these boxes have helped me. They've helped me because I understand that I have one purpose. My purpose is to love. I don't have a whole bunch of purposes. I have one purpose. It's to love. And then I just practice love in the area of relationships and service and worship. And as I practice love, then God grows me. And then God affects other people through me. And in doing that, he's maturing me. It's a process of, uh, theologians use the term sanctification. We're being sanctified. We're being, we're being uh, um, refined, as it were. God is working on us. He's changing us. And he changes us when we practice love. So doctors practice medicine. Disciples of Jesus practice love. We practice love. And then I like this little graphic I created some time ago with the arrows. The arrows are going up because it all comes from love. And just like heat rises, love permeates and motivates and activates everything else. And without love, if you took that bottom row off, you would have what so many Christians and so many churches do. They just do that. That's their programs. That's what they do. They serve, they get people connected, they do worship services and all that. But when you take love out of it, it's like what, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. It doesn't amount to anything. So the next slide talks about what is God's and what is ours. We do this, we do the first two layers, and God does the next two layers. 
And that's all we have to do. And it's so important that we remember this. The next one, same thing. God's focus and our focus. And then the next one, I draw this thick black line. Because we really need to know that we're not the ones that grow ourselves. We don't grow other people. That's God's business. God's growing his church. God builds his church. God reaches out and this, some of you will disagree theologically with me on this, and I might too when I listen back to it, right? But my relationship with God is not dependent on whether somebody else was obedient to tell me. Because I'm nervous if that's true, right? If my eternal destiny is dependent on John or Mary coming to church that night or going out and visiting or whatever, I'd be a little nervous. Uh, but I'm also not somebody who believes that none of us have to do anything and whoever's going to get saved is going to get saved. That's not true. That's not biblical. But what I'm saying is we have work to do. God says you're to love. And we can practice love in those three areas. But then God is the one who grows and who reaches out. God does that, but he does it through us. We get to be a part of that. So I have some questions for you. What does it look like for me? Let's get practical for a minute. What does it look like for me to love my spouse? What does it look like? What does it look like for me to love my kids? They may not be very lovable right now. So what does that look like? What does it look like for me to love my parents? They may not be very lovable right now either. I talked to a student this morning, and uh, I, was, I was telling him, you know, sometimes your parents, they just... Uh, they just get all worked up about stuff. Just, just be patient. Just be patient. They'll get over it. They'll get through it, right? They'll get through it. And so what it looks like for that kid might be, it might be patience, right? Patience with their parents. What does it look like for me to love my extended family? My extended family. As we put on extensions to make them more extended. But sometimes, and, and, and hey, it's Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. You get to be with your extended family. Aren't you glad? They're coming. The in-laws are coming. So what does it look like for you to love them? What does it look like for you to love your coworkers? How about your boss? These are the people you're with all the time. What does that look like? So you're going to have to make this practical. What does it look like for me to love my real neighbors, the ones that actually live around me? Or maybe to love the person I least want to love. Fill in the blank. Who is it? I could have you close your eyes and in cursive in your mind draw their name. The person you least want to love. And now, um, just like Londa used that salt to change the composition of the fluid so that the egg would float. And again, don't tell me. I don't want to know. It's magic. I know it's magic. All right. Just like Londa did that. So Jesus changes the composition of our understanding of what love is when he tells us to love our enemies. He just cranked it up a whole nother notch. Love your enemies. Love the people that don't love you, that actually dislike you, that actually set themselves up as your adversary, as your opponent, as your enemy. Jesus says, hey, my kind of love causes people to love their enemies. My kind of love is pure. It is so pure that the that, that people that follow me, they even love their enemies. They're even kind to their enemies. They pray for them. They bless them. That's a different kind of love. Who, who's your enemy? Who are your enemies? 
How do you love them? You've got to be careful. I have to be careful. I have to be careful. In our society, the way it works is you get a group of people and then you set up an opponent. And then you use that opponent to get this group of people all riled up. And then it's like, yeah, 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 get them, get them, get them. See, but Jesus' followers, they love their enemies. They, they don't, well, except for Iowa and Iowa State, right? I mean, <laughs> that's all in good fun, though, right? It's in good fun. Um, but if you have an enemy, you know what Jesus said? Don't go to war against them. Love them. That's what Jesus teaches. He teaches us to love our enemies. And in so many areas of our culture and our society, we hear a different message. And we get that message mixed up with Jesus' message. And it all gets kind of mixed together. And after a while, you can't sort out where Jesus' message is and where the culture's message is. Again, remember we talked about don't look at the Bible through culture, but look at culture through the Bible. So when culture sells us to hate our enemies, we say, oh, no, wait, no, no, Jesus tells me to love my enemies. Got to sort that one out. That's a tough one. What does it look like for me to love the unlovely, the unlovable, and the least of these around me? I said in the first service that I was, I was with some of those people this week. And then I thought to myself, that sounds so bad, doesn't it, to say some of those people... I mean, who wants to be some of those people? I'm some of those people to somebody. But people that are unlovable and unlovely, what does it look like for us to love them? What does it look like for me to love the poor, the uneducated, the foreigner, the stranger, the the other, the one who's different, the hungry, the oppressed, the, the imprisoned, the addict, the abused. You say the abuser? I don't like that. The enslaved, the sick, the one farthest from God. What does it look like for me to love my fellow church members, especially the ones who annoy me or offend me? Like some of you annoy each other. Just admit it. You know you do. Because some of you annoy me. (laughs) No, I'm just teasing. Um, Hey, to make pretend that none of us annoy the other, why do you think there's, this is why there's the one another commands. Because we are going to annoy each other. That's when we get to put up with each other and be patient with each other and forgive each other and love each other and build each other up and be kind to each other. Because we're all annoying to somebody. We're all going to offend somebody. So spiritual maturity is learning to love everyone. Right from my family member in the most intimate situation all the way to my enemy. And you know what your biggest obstacle is going to be? Your biggest obstacle will be, survey says, yourself. Yourself. I am the biggest obstacle to me loving you. Because self gets in the way. So I have to choose myself or if I'm going to choose love. Because when I choose love, it always means others. It always means others. 
When I choose self, it always excludes love. Always. We're either choosing self or we're choosing love. There aren't no, there are no other options. So my encouragement to you would be to choose love. To choose love. I saw a great illustration of this that I want to share with you. This is what this is what love looks like. So watch this with me just for a minute. This year for Christmas, what are you hoping to get? A computer, big giant Barbie house, a trophy case, Xbox 360, Minecraft Legos. What do you think your mom or dad want for Christmas? My mom would probably want a ring. She's never really had a ring. Jewelry. She loves jewelry. A new TV. Like watches. So, we actually did buy an Xbox 360. What in the world? I wanted this! Okay, you you really got this for me? A new laptop. Wow! It's a necklace! So we also bought a necklace because he said you also wanted to get a necklace for your mom or your auntie. The catch is that you can either get a gift for yourself or you can pick a gift for your mom and dad. I need you to pick one. Now, now before you answer, oh, I bet that's hard. Is that a really hard question? Mm Mm-hmm. What gift do you pick? I choose this. I gotta go with the ring. What gift do you pick? That one. That one. That dress. I'll choose this for my mom. I'll choose this one. It's a really tough question. I'll give him this. You already know? Tell me why. Because Legos don't matter. Lego, your family matters. Not Legos, not toys, your family. So, it's either family or Legos, and I choose family. I get gifts every year from my family, and my mom don't get anything. If I get a laptop, my mom will get something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to give back to them. Now, I the opportunity to give him something. Because you actually picked the gift for your family, you're actually going to go home with both. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and Why? thankful. Just happy. Thankful. For your family? For what? My family. Everything. You did make his decision, actually. And oh he goodness. picked the Pandora Charms. Oh, that is... You're going to make me cry. So what are you going to do? And your room. Oh, it's for me? So why does that move us? Why when we look at a video like that, are we affected by that? And you know, it's, it's so interesting in the first service and in this one. Some of you are wiping your eyes. But why is that? Why is that? Because that's love. That is love in action. And what is love? Love is always a choice. It's a choice between me and you. 
And I'm always happier when I choose you, when I have that choice. And you, you see it on the faces of these kids. Whenever we choose someone else over ourselves, that's always more fulfilling. That always makes us more happy. So for us as a church, let's choose to love. And that means to serve and to give. And I came up with this slide last night. Otherwise, you'd have a little three-by-five card with this on it. And what it is is concentric circles that just illustrate those closest to you and those farther away, close family and friends in the middle, and frequent relationships like those you work with or live near, and then number three, casual connections on the outside. What if you, what if you decided... I'm going to get this as a card, and I'm going to give it to you, okay? It's going to be like a little card. I just don't have it yet. It, it's in the mail, right? And if you, if you had to write down, I can better love, and pick one person from each of those areas of your life. I can better love Mark if I simply begin to what? I can better love Mary if, if I just simply begin to... See, because it, is, it isn't... It isn't trying to figure out why that water makes the egg float. It's not that hard. It's real easy. Love is real easy. So I thought, okay, I can simply love Jason this week by listening more. Well, that's something I could do. I could listen more. That will, will, will show love. That'll go a little ways. And then if I pick out somebody even closer to me, Jason would be a number two for me. But if I were to pick somebody in number three and number one and, and actually write it down, write their name down and say, I can love this person more if I simply just do this and make love a practice and a habit. You know what? Some of you already do. Some of you are, most of you probably are very loving. You already do because you know Jesus, you love the Lord and you try to serve others. But remember, the continuing debt, we never pay it off, so we'll continue to work on it and we'll continue to practice it. So here at the end of this series, uh, next week we're talking about El Salvador and uh, we're having, oh, I know his name. What's his first name? Tony. Tony. That's what I thought it was. Tony's going to be here. Uh, he, is, he was involved with our group last year in El Salvador and uh, uh, I'm not much involved next week, maybe not at all. So uh, Jason and others are going to take it and we're going to talk about getting involved in El Salvador in the coming new year. Um, but as I finish this off, we have one purpose, folks. You have one job, right? You only have one job to do. And that job is to love. And if we as a church family can love, everything else will take care of itself. Would you join me in prayer? Let's stand together as we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to hear from your word, to be reminded uh, from the words of Jesus that he loved us, that it started with his love for us. And that because you love us, God, because you love us, we can love others. So Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities this week to love, to get, to get rid of your love, for the love that you give us, to share it with others, to give it out, to serve and to sacrifice, to surrender our agenda so that we can meet the needs of others this week. 
And God, I pray that you would help us to make it a really, really good habit. Something we're always in the practice of doing. If I were to love people more, I could simply start by doing this. God, I thank you for these folks. I thank you for what they've done in their lives and in their ministries and their families. I thank you for the love that they share. And I pray that we could just continue. We give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.